Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Well, friends, let's go to the foot of the cross and let's stand next to Jesus' mother. Let's stand next to the ladies who followed him. Let's stand next to John the Beloved who's there with Jesus' mother. Let's go back and stand off at a distance with the other apostles who ran away and we're looking at the cross and we're thinking, what good could possibly come out of this? And God says, what good? The forgiveness of sins in heaven for anybody who would come to him. Pastor Jim asks us to take a look at the results of painful times in our lives. Did anything good come from times of difficulty? One time of great difficulty in history happened when Jesus, the perfect and blameless Son of God, came to earth to show us what living for God really looked like. Yet, he still died on a cross. When that happened, those who followed Jesus were devastated and could not see how anything good would come of it. Today, knowing that Jesus beat death gives us great hope in our trials. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 with part 3 of his message entitled, Enduring Trials. Followers of Jesus, despite the fact what your friends might say, are not sinless, but we do certainly start to sin less, but we still need the Word of God. We still need the Holy Spirit to show us the right path. We still need the Word of God. We still need the Holy Spirit to help us to grow. We still need the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to confront us with the truth. And I think more than anything else, I think we need to be confronted with our sin so we see how much Jesus loves us. So when we look at the cross, we think that should have been me, not him. That should have been me. And that actually grows our love for Jesus if you're willing to get out of yourself and you're willing to turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm going to use a Bible word that Peter just used to tell you how much I want you to get this. Beloved. Loved of God. When we turn away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit we turn away from grace. When we turn away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we turn away from God's power. You say, I don't believe that. I think I can prove it to you. You became a Christian how? And if you're not a Christian, please listen because this is how it happens. You became a Christian when the conviction of your sin met the love and grace of a holy God. That's how it happened. What did you do? You turned to him. You confessed your sin. You put your trust in Jesus instead of yourself. And when you read the Bible you must realize that process never ends. We continually see our sin, 
see our perfect Savior, see Him trying to make us more like Him, we turn to God, we confess our sin, and we say to Him, I'm trusting you to help me with this sin. I'm trusting you to help me be more like you, Jesus. In our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been going through the book of Second Chronicles, and we're seeing this incredible demonstration which would point us to the cross that the knowledge of sin... And the offer of the forgiveness of sin through the blood sacrifices at the temple produces joy and change in the people of God. They are forgiven. They don't hang their heads low. They sing loudly. And then they go out and what do they do? They start ripping down all the false idol worship in the land in their lives because they want the true worship of God. Friends, anything less is a ripoff. Anything less is a distortion of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and in sending his Holy Spirit to help you. And, you know, I take a day like yesterday when I get the opportunity to talk to people. It doesn't have to be with, with being a pastor. I just would love to talk to people about the Lord. And I find myself continually apologizing to people. And here's the thing, here's the thing. We will never make a difference in this corner of New Jersey if we're waiting on a select few to have these conversations with people. It's gonna take an army of people who are more afraid of saying nothing than saying the wrong thing, who are telling people about the truth of the gospel. I find myself apologizing for so much false teaching that people have learned. People are like, well, you know, I'm so tired of those holier-than-now people. I'm like, I'm sorry, so am I. Because they're not holier-than-thou, trust me. I'm so tired of, of having to explain to people that when people say, well, you know, this, they told me that if I have enough faith, I'll get whatever I want. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's not true. That's not true. They're like, really? I'm like, do you think Jesus had faith? Well, yes, he got killed. He got killed. I'm so sorry to have to apologize to people who've sat under this greasy, grace, meddler, live however you want people. They went out and they lived however they want and the whole world fell apart. The whole world fell apart. And I'm so sorry that there's so much of that out there. But for you, beloved, don't be ripped off by it. Don't buy it. Peter says here, if you presented Jesus Christ with your life, with your lips, if you presented him as both a loving savior and a righteous judge and you suffered for it, you can know this, heaven is smiling at you. Heaven is jacked up for you, man. They love you up there. In fact, he says, if you suffer as a Christian, very rare usage of that word in the New Testament. Very rare. You know why? Do you like being called a Bible thumper? You like being called one of those weird Jesus people? That's what the term Christian was. The term Christian was a very derogatory, very negative, very insulting thing to be called. It simply meant that you were a follower of Jesus. We talk about the cross, right? We wear crosses around our neck. Would you think it's appropriate to go to a party and talk about the gas chamber or the electric chair? That's how inappropriate it was to talk about the cross 
back then. It was the biggest disgrace ever. And these people were telling people about the disgrace of the cross and the wonder of Jesus Christ. And people were like, oh, those Christians. And Peter says, listen, they are insulting you, but don't you be ashamed. Don't you be ashamed. Because as they insult you, heaven applauds you. Now, one quick thing, we have to move on. I know this is really hard for some of you that are people pleasers. I know it's really hard. But remember this, when you stay close to Jesus, when you stand up for him, you glorify God. Heaven is like, oh man, that's a work of grace in someone's life. Verse 17 seems really odd in the context of trials here. He says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now let's stop there for a second. Some of your friends who grew up in the church and who just turned their back on Jesus would be like, well, judgment begins in the house of God. You know, we think like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Like, that's why I don't go to church, I'm afraid. Well, we should be afraid in some ways, right? What does this mean? Well, let's think about it for a second. Judgment, the word here that's used for judgment is not the same word when it talks about God judging the eternal destiny of people. It's a word that can also mean evaluation. Remember when we said that when we're under trials that God is purifying us and part of the evaluation begins in the house of God. And they would have immediately thought of the temple. Remember they were meeting houses and in rented halls. They would have thought of the temple And he says, for judgment or evaluation will begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end? Some versions say, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18, now if the righteous one, and those are people who have gotten righteousness from Jesus because they put their trust in Jesus, he has taken their sin upon himself at the cross and he has given his righteousness away. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, what does that mean? Does that mean we barely make it in? If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Another version says this, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I mean, if somebody who trusted in Jesus Christ is scarcely saved, and he's quoting Proverbs 11.31, what about people who never trusted in Jesus? Now, it's very interesting. He says here that God's judgment, God's evaluation of people begins with his people, begins with who has been purified through difficulty and who is just kind of going through the motions. And in the Bible, you see a lot of times they're talking about church people who sit in church, but who are not believers. Any of you know any church people who are not believers besides me? Any of you know any church people who are not believers? Right? We all know lots of people like that. And what's going on here is he's telling us, remember we talked about that the Lord is waiting for people to believe because he's patient. He's telling us here that while the Lord is waiting for unbelieving people to become committed followers of Jesus Christ, he's making us fit for the inheritance. He's getting us ready for heaven. And he says here that we are scarcely saved. Now I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with me because I think I know. 
You ever feel like you're just going to barely get in? I mean, you're just going to barely make it. Because there's that legalist in all of us that thinks I'm really not good enough. And if you think you're good enough, you're so full of pride, you're not getting in. (laughs) You know, I always talk about, you know, some of us, we know we're going to end up in the last row with Elvis. I only say that because I want to know somebody beside Elvis in the last row. (laughs) I mean, we just just think that we're barely going to get in. And so what's he saying here? He's saying, listen, if we can only get into heaven because of the life, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. How is anybody else going to get in? And we're supposed to go. They're not. They're not. And so being scarcely saved, while it's an idea of for some of us, we think, oh, we got to stay in line. And others of us think, oh, I'm barely going to make it in. I think he's saying in addition to we just get in because of our faith in Jesus Christ, but I think he's also reminding us we're going to feel like we're scarcely saved because of all the difficulty we have in this life. Because the legalist that exists in all of us tends to say, I'm having these problems because I didn't obey God. I'm having these problems because I'm not really a good Christian. I'm having these problems because God doesn't really love me and he's really not in control. Acts 14, 21 through 22, it says, and when they, and it's talking about Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ to that city, talking about Derbe, and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So they went back to the places where they had already preached. And he says this, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them, to continue with faith and saying, if you have enough faith, you'll get whatever you want in life. No, not at all. What did they tell them? We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Well, you see, they're just agreeing with the apostle Peter, right? Saying no matter what's going on in your life, hang in there, stay at it. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your suffering, God is doing a work. And this may be hard to hear, but the Lord uses trials and suffering to sift out who really is a child of God and who really isn't. He uses trials and suffering to show you whether you really are the real deal or you're not quite there yet. You say, well, that's mean. No, it's actually grace. It's actually God showing someone who's not really a Christian what they need to do and believe and obey to become a Christian. He says here, because these people do not obey the gospel of God. And by not obeying the gospel of God, the worst suffering is for someone who doesn't believe in the next life. The opportunity for heaven is now. We say, what do I do? How do I obey? Now, typically as Christians, we go, oh, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Well, a bunch of people came to Jesus in John 6 and said, what, man, what do we have to do to get to heaven? And Jesus met them on their own place, on their own place. And he said this, John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. As Jesus said, if you want to get to heaven, this is what you need to do. You need to put your trust in the one whom he sent, of course, talking about himself. And after we initially trust, 
we continually put our lives in the loving hands of our heavenly Father. It is a daily thing. Verse 19, he concludes, Therefore, after all we've heard, let those who suffer according to the will of God. So your suffering might actually be the will of God. Why? Because God is purifying you. Why? Because God is showing us and you who really belongs to him. How were they suffering according to the will of God? A lot of times like the way we are. We're being marginalized. Other kinds of difficulties. He says, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good, not quitting. And the idea of that verb there is to continually keep doing good as to a faithful creator. You know, I've had enough emails in the church here. Some of you have been asking me what's going on with my health. And it's gone everything from I heard you got a bad foot to a bad back to, uh, you know, you've decided to go back and work a real job and uh, all, all kinds of different things. Well, many of you know that I suffer from headaches since I'm a teenager daily. You've probably never seen me without one. So I'm actually really a nice guy. You just don't know it. And so... And so sometimes people think I'm mad, and so I just have a bad headache. That's, that's all it is. And in the midst of that, I've had some uh, inner ear or vestibular, for those of you in the medical profession, I've had some vestibular issues with that, and they have been the worst they've ever been in the last six months. So sometimes you think I'm just holding on to the pulpit because you as the audience is swaying like a boat, right? And so that's what that, it's nothing life-threatening, it's really annoying, it's a real pain in the neck. I... I think I've lost about 20 points off my IQ, which is not bad, but my IQ is only about 40 or 50. So <laughs> I don't have 20 points to give. And uh, I do have a bit of a photographic memory. And so it's been really compromised in that. But I had to keep reminding myself over and over again that we do not suffer accidentally. I've had to keep reminding myself that the faithful creator has a plan that nothing about my life and nothing about your life has passed him by. Absolutely nothing. And you know, this is what happens, but this is the deal. Sometimes God makes the pastor the message. I accept that. I accept that. It's, you know, I have a newfound understanding for people with chronic illnesses. I never knew what it was like to feel like an introvert for one second of my life, but I do now now. I never knew what it was like not to be energized by crowds, but I know now what it's like, I'll be a better pastor for it. I mean, I'm not like, Lord, just make this here forever. I'm like, get rid of this thing, would you? But the Lord is faithful and we can count on him to keep his promises and we reveal our trust in doing good, in continuing to do good. Sometimes bad things happen, right? And what do we go? What a waste. And the Lord goes, don't you tell me that's a waste. I'm not wasting anything. I'm not wasting anything in your life. And when we continue to do good, often it means that we do things and we seem to get nothing in return, right? But that is not true. The Lord has promised to repay all of the good things that we do in his name. And learning to see our trials and learning to see our suffering as being under God's control is one of the biggest challenges of the Christian life. And that's why God has to purify that in us. God has to make us believing believers, right? Because a lot of times when suffering comes, we become unbelieving believers. 
My eyes have seen God's power in this in so many of you in this church. I have seen so many people that the Lord has used their trials to refine them and you are a source of grace to me. I have seen so many people in such pain and such heartache in this church be drawn in closer to God that when I want to quit, when it's not going my way, I'm like, no, what about him? What about her? What about him? What about those people? We often look at suffering and we think, what good could God possibly bring out of that? Well, friends, let's go to the foot of the cross and let's stand next to Jesus' mother. Let's stand next to the ladies who followed him. Let's stand next to John the Beloved who's there with Jesus' mother. Let's go back and stand off at a distance with the other apostles who ran away and we're looking at the cross and we're thinking, what good could possibly come out of this? And God says, what good? The forgiveness of sins in heaven for anybody who would come to him. Because as the apostles would go out, there is no other name, there is no other way by which someone can be saved by which someone can be forgiven of their sins. If you're not a Christian, today's your day, man. Today's your day. You want to go to heaven? I'm going to tell you right now in a couple minutes how you get there. He told us right here. He said, they commit their souls to him. To commit is to hand over yourself to someone else for your own care. That's what it means to commit. Did you know that's the only way to get to heaven? That you have to commit yourself to God? It's not your good works. It's not any ritual you did. You said, I don't believe that. I think I can prove that to you. Jesus Christ on the cross, Luke 23, 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even Jesus knew the way to get to heaven was to commit himself to his heavenly father. We can commit our lives to the Lord because we know that he's faithful. We can commit our lives to the Lord because we can trust in him because we know he's faithful and we can continue to trust him for the same reason. Friend, have you been to the foot of the cross Have you committed your life to him? Jesus Christ endured suffering so we could endure suffering. Jesus Christ endured suffering and death for us so we could have our sins forgiven. And sometimes we will be called upon to suffer for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we will be called upon to suffer for the good of spreading the good news to other people And in the midst of it, God will be faithful to prepare us for heaven. So today, whether you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, or you've been a Christian for years and years and years, come to the foot of the cross where the ground is level. We all stand there as sinners looking up at him. Bring your trials. Bring your troubles. Bring your weary, weary, tired, restless heart and commit your life to him. 
if for the first time to remember that he has promised to bring you to heaven and if you've been there hundreds and thousands of times before remember he promises to help you endure your trials well that's all the time we have for today Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through the book of 1 Peter. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.